the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The John Steigerwald Show. Sponsored by ServiceMaster of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Portions of today's program may be pre-recorded. Pete Buttigieg, a nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Yeah, you know, Pete, he's the transportation secretary. Of course, he's only the transportation secretary because he's gay. Have you heard he's gay? Because I think they mentioned that. Anyway, that's why he got the job after doing a bad job of being mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And as we speak, his boss at the White House is looking at a, are you ready, railroad strike. And Pete, who was criticized for not being good at filling potholes when he was the mayor, is apparently the guy who's going to be in charge of keeping the trains running. I mean, isn't that what the Secretary of Transportation does? And if they aren't running, I guess he's the guy who's going to be in charge of figuring out a way to transport all those things that trains transport, you know, like food. This is going to be a nightmare for the supply chain. Already that's a nightmare, as you know. According to the uh, Association of American Railroads, a shutdown would cost about $2 billion a day. And it would require the equivalent of 467,000 additional long-haul trucks per day to make up for the lack of trains. There's already a shortage of more than 80,000 truck drivers, a lot of that because of VAX mandates. And according to the Retail Industry Leaders Association, freight rail accounts for 40% of long-distance shipping volume, quote, more than any other mode of transportation. This would seem to be a time when you need a transportation secretary who, you know, knows what he's doing. (laughs) Pete's the guy who took about three months off, I think, might have been four, for uh, maternity leave during the COVID shutdown when nobody could find a seat on an airplane. Maybe you've seen the picture of him in in bed with his husband with their pretend breasts, breastfeeding their kid. Yeah, that's your uh, transportation secretary. Now, the railroads uh, unions obviously know that, uh, you know, they have their bosses in the government right where they want them. Our government screwed up everything so bad with its COVID hysteria that, you know, inflation's already out of control. Prices can only go up if these if the railroad goes on strike. Railroad workers go on strike. And, and what's that saying that you hear all the time about governments and whether they're doing a good job? Um, I think something like making people happy simply by making sure that the trains run on time. Have you heard that expression? How do you like the chances of the big guy and Pete solving this problem? And how do you suppose they're going to figure out a way to blame it on Donald Trump? That's coming. Meanwhile, might be a good idea to start stocking up, <coughs> excuse me, stocking up on uh, toilet paper again. And this is also probably something that's going to cause an increase in crime. You know, shortage of things creates black markets, blah, blah, blah. Another area where Democrats have been doing a really good job of making things worse. So when we come back, we'll talk about the stupidity of letting more people out of prison instead of putting more people in with the author of a book who has all the numbers to show what a really stupid idea that actually is. Stick around. It's no secret, America. We've been let down. Inflation is taking its toll in the grocery stores, the products we buy, and the pain of every visit to the gas pump. At Upside, we're fighting back with our free app that pays you back serious money on every tank of gas or diesel, up to 25 cents per gallon, just for using the Upside app, no strings attached. Upside users have already been paid back a total of more than $250 million. With inflation and the soaring price of gas, it's easy to feel like you're losing control. But with Upside's 
Rewards free app, you can start putting money back in your wallet with every gallon. Whenever you want, cash out with PayPal, an e-gift card, or transfer the money directly into your bank account. Download the free Upside app and get cash back on every gallon of gas. Use promo code SALEM for an additional 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first fill-up. That's promo code S-A-L-E-M. Remember, use promo code SALEM when you download the free Upside app and get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank of gas. Cash back's not available in gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. International travel is open again. So now is the perfect time for that trip to Israel, the trip of a lifetime. A trip to the Holy Land will bring you face-to-face with one of the most fascinating countries on earth. More than just a vacation, this meaningful trip is your opportunity to enjoy the freedom to travel again. Walking the ancient streets of Jerusalem where Jesus walked, sailing the Sea of Galilee, and floating in the mineral-rich Dead Sea with its healing and rejuvenating power. Sebastian Gorka and Dinesh D'Souza, along with our trusted travel partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours, personally invite you to experience Israel with them this November. To book your trip to Israel, log on to StandWithIsraelTour.com. That's StandWithIsraelTour.com. Then call 855-565-5519 to secure your spot. Call today, 855-565-5519. Charlie Dombeck here from Key City Capital. As a practicing CPA for nearly 30 years, I have found that 80% of your ability to grow your wealth is dependent upon two factors, taxes and investment performance. At Key City Capital, we improve investment performance by diversifying capital into off-market investment opportunities in passive rental real estate and alternatives like asset-backed lending. We recover dollars that clients unnecessarily pay in the form of income taxes, creating a lifetime annuity of savings. We are responsible of passive, affordable, single, and multifamily residential rental investments, which are located in Sunbelt landlord-friendly states. These investments are the top choices in a rising interest rate and inflationary environment. They represent a store of value protecting your capital from market volatility. Learn how we at Key City Capital can help you ultimately grow your wealth rapidly. Connect with me at keycitycapital.com or give me a call at 817-912-1569. Hi, I'm Jackie Norman. Are you longing to find your soulmate, but you're tired of online dating, singles ministries, blind dates, or even being set up on bad dates by well-meaning family and friends? If none of that's worked for you and you have no idea how to meet marriage-minded men or even truly Christian men who will seek you out for a lasting committed relationship without the head games, then I invite you to join me in my free Married in 12 Months Challenge. Look, There's nothing good or sacred or even noble about sitting in the waiting room. So in this challenge, I'm going to teach you why now is your time to find love. What are the lies that are holding you back? Why God wants you married, the biblical law of attraction, and the tools you need to become a bride. Don't wait any longer. Just sign up for my free Married in 12 Months Challenge today at lovestories.com and you can step into the love story that God has already written about you. That's lovestories.com. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, we live in a state where the uh, the favorite to win an open Senate seat is in favor of releasing as many criminals from prison as possible and eliminating life without parole for people convicted of second-degree murder, if I'm not mistaken. Crime rate is way up. Uh, this doesn't seem like a good idea. Rafael Manguel is the author of Criminal Justice, What the Push for Decarceration and Depolicing Gets Wrong and Who It Hurts Most, and he joins us now. Rafael, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me back. So do, do you think it would be a, a good idea for maybe Mr. Fetterman to read your book? Could he get some good out I of do. it, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope he'll, uh, he'll take the opportunity to engage with some of the arguments on the other side of you know, his point of view and, and, and his proposal, which I think is incredibly misguided, even if well-meaning. It's, um, I, I, it's, it's just as stunning to me um, that someone would think that that would be uh, a, a popular notion. Listen, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make sure that nobody who commits second-degree murder is going to get life without parole. Who would... Are there people out there who would actually consider that a positive? There must be. 
be. Uh, but but again, you know, whether something is popular is, is a separate question from right. whether they are right. Right. Um, and whether this is a good idea. And I can tell you with uh, a very high degree of confidence that this kind of approach, uh, you know, just pursuing decarceration for its own sake is one of the most dangerous things that you can do. And it's one of the most dangerous things that you can do precisely for the sort of disadvantaged, low-income minority communities in whose name such proposals are so often made. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at, you know, the, 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 geographic concentration of victimization in the United States in any given city in America, including Philadelphia, you're looking at about 4% of street segments seeing about 50% of all violent crime. Um, and with respect to the demographic concentration, you're looking at the vast majority of those violent crime victims being black or Hispanic, mostly males. Um, when we look at the people who are in prison today, what you're going to find are people who have been convicted of very serious offenses and people who have very lengthy criminal history. The average prisoner in the United States has more than 10 prior arrests and more than five prior convictions before their most recent incarceration. That in and of itself indicates the sort of danger that's associated with releasing these people en masse. But we also have data on recidivism. And in the United States, over a 10-year period, people released from prison will reoffend at least once at a rate of more than 80%, which means that less than 20% of them will desist from criminal activity within that time frame. And on average, these individuals are going to generate five rearrests over that 10-year period. Now, you know, it, it's very easy to just write this off as abstract data, but each one of those arrests involves a potential victim. It involves a community that is going to be impacted by the sort of uh, 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 criminal activity, which is often violent, that we're talking about here. Yeah, there, there have been some high-profile cases. I guess uh, the most recent really high-profile, the two in Memphis, uh, uh, yeah. case of violent crimes being committed by people who have a long record of committing them. Uh, is this new, these numbers you just threw out there, or is it just getting more attention now? This is, it's, this is not a new phenomenon. This is something that has been you know, a, a driver of crime for as long as I can remember, but it's certainly something that is getting worse as our system becomes more lenient. The more decarceration we pursue, the, lo the more that we lower the transaction cost of committing a crime and raise the transaction cost of enforcing the law, the more of these sorts of offenses we're going to get because we're going to increase the instances in which people who could have been and should have been incarcerated but weren't will go on to commit a really heinous offense. You threw a bunch of numbers out there a minute ago. I want to get back to – well, I want to make sure I got this right. The, um, the number of times – that the average prisoner has been arrested? By, is this by the time he goes to prison for the first time, or is this the average number of times the average prisoner has been arrested, Some, maybe someone who's in prison right now? Yeah, so if you, just, if you look at the prison population now, so the, the, this is based on the Bureau of Justice Statistics um, measure, which looks at people being released from prison in a given year. And it tells you how many prior arrests they had before their most recent incarceration, as well as how many prior convictions. Those numbers tend to range on average uh, for arrests between 10 and 12 and for convictions between 5 and 6. Oh. Now, uh, one, of the, one of the cases I think that uh, Fetterman has been associated with, there was a guy who was in, he was in prison for 38 years. He, and he had, I think he got life without parole, but they... I don't know if he got out or Fetterman's trying to get him out. I forget. But I guess there are varying degrees of this. If someone is a convicted murderer and he's 65 years old and he's spent the last 35 years in prison, that's not the same as letting a guy out after six or seven years. So is it is it is it is it at least negotiable with you that somebody who gets a life without parole uh, at some point, get some credit for um, for good behavior, or, or should it just be, that's it, you did it, you're done, you could have gotten the death penalty, we're going to give you life without parole? Yeah, I think life without parole is a perfectly legitimate response to some of the most heinous offenses that we can imagine. And the idea that there does not exist some subpopulation of the criminal offending uh, population that is incorrigible or irredeemable I think that's that's in tension with reality. I mean, one case that comes to mind from earlier this year is the case of Marceline Harvey, who is an 83-year-old parolee who was just charged this year with the murder of a 68-year-old woman. 
that answer happened after this individual was paroled in 2019. That parole came after uh, uh, a sentence for murder that that was committed in 1985, which was committed after a parole for a murder that was committed in 1963. So, So, you know, there does exist a population of people who simply cannot function in society. They will not play by our rules, and they can continue to pose a danger well into old age. I mean, if you look at the recidivism data in the United States, every single age group reoffends at a rate of, of at least 50%, except for those 65 or older. But the, the, the rate of reoffending for that population is still pretty significant. You're, you're talking about recidivism rates between 30 and 40% for that population. So it's not like the risk ever zeroes out. And so, yeah, I think it's perfectly legitimate if somebody who's been convicted of a, of a serious crime like, you know, homicide, multiple homicide, uh, kidnapping and rape, etc., that, that, that those people, or if someone has been sentenced to life without parole as a result of repeated criminal behavior, that we take these individuals at their word, um, which is exhibited by their actions, and, and, and those actions communicate um, uh, a reality that they will not play by society's rules. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that absolutely has to remain on the table for, for not just the public safety reasons, but also with respect to society's need um, to, to sort of satiate its retributive, its retributive instincts, right? I mean, what we don't want to do is live in a world in which, you know, members of society don't have any confidence that, uh, the system is going to punish people appropriately, which will then lead them to take justice into their own hands. That's, that's not the world I want to look at. Well, there's been some debate over time about whether or not, just uh, for an example, the, the death penalty serves really as any deterrent. That, uh, do you have, in, do you have um, data that show that it, it is a deterrent? Uh, and if that's yeah, the mean, case, I, would would life without parole be the same thing? I'm certainly not as familiar with the uh, with the literature on the death penalty. Um, you know, I, I would suspect that given how the death penalty is administered in the United States today, that it is very unlikely for it to provide a significant deterrent effect um, that would be distinguishable from the deterrent effect of a potential sentence of life without parole. I mean, there is some research I'm familiar with on three strikes policies, for example, there was one study out of California that looked at their three strikes rule, you know, where, where you could face up to life in prison uh, for certain third strike offenses. And people with two strikes or one strikes, uh, or one strike reoffended at a rate that was between 17 and 20% lower than those who had two strikes, um, which, which kind of gives you an idea uh, of, of just how um, much of a deterrent a potential life sentence can be, which is one of the reasons why I think it should remain on the table. And um, what's the, we're talking, by the way, to uh, Rafael Mangual. He's the author of uh, Criminal Injustice, What the Push for Decarceration and Depolicing Gets Wrong and Who It Hurts Most. Um, so what's the new law in Illinois that goes into effect on January 1st of next year that's likely to make things much worse in Chicago? So, so this is really kind of an extension of a bail reform effort that was already undertaken in Chicago for some years now, and it's extended that um, effort and expanded on it uh, at the state level. So this is going to essentially eliminate uh, the possibility of cash bail for the vast majority of offenses, and it's going to make it more difficult and less likely um, that, that even dangerous defendants will get um, uh, incarcerated in pretrial detention uh, in the state of Illinois, which is going to pose significant risk again, because this is a population that you know reoffends at a rate higher than zero. And you know, lots of people who have been following uh, the bail reform undertaken in Chicago as a result of the, the the chief judge there of the circuit court system, Timothy Evans, they've evaluated that and, and said, well, hey, this didn't really increase crime. And the way that they make that argument is by pointing out that the rate of reoffending among pretrial defendants has remained steady in the pre- and post-reform period. But if you greatly expand the number of pretrial defendants out on the street, even if they reoffend at the same rate, you're still talking about a greater number of crimes in the aggregate because 10% of 100 is still less than 10% of 1,000. 
Um, and, and that's what I think people need to keep in mind. So, uh, you know, I am uh, very discouraged by, by what's happened in Illinois. And I think, you know, that, that, that people probably should have been paying a little more attention to that debate as it was going on before this legislation got close to implementation while it was still uh, being considered. And, and, and so, yeah, I think we're going to have to wait and see. But I suspect the results are going to be pretty disastrous. And who's pushing this, not just in Illinois, but uh, in other places, the decarceration, the depolicing? And, and what's their selling point? Uh, it's, I, I guess it's, it's district attorneys who are getting are they're getting elected based on promising to let people out of prison or are they are they sneaking in somehow? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, you know, they, and these are you know progressive DAs who are very out and, and and open about what their intentions are. I mean, one of the problems that I think we're starting to see is that these people are often elected in very low salient elections that are often off cycle, and and they just don't get quite uh, enough attention. And so, you know, even though they're they're very open about what their intentions are. Um, people don't really catch on, and, and that's, I think, at the root of this problem. But there is a, a very large, very well-funded, and very loud criminal justice reform apparatus in this country. And these individuals have convinced themselves um, that in order to pursue racial equity, in order to pursue even public safety in their mind, you have to decarcerate on some significant level. And, you know, they, they rely on racial disparities in the incarceration data, of course, ignoring the disparities in the criminal victimization rates that inform uh, a, a lot of those disparities that they point to. Um, and, and they look at, you know, a very small body of research showing that for some low-risk defendants, exposure to incarceration can produce worse outcomes with respect to recidivism. But you know, that research is now being grafted on to the entire incarcerated population, which is very, very different from the sort of lower risk populations that that research is really, uh, that that research really applies to. And so that's where we are right now. And, and, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book that you mentioned is to push back on these dominant narratives that have informed what, again, I think is an incredibly misguided endeavor. And again, the book is Criminal Injustice, What the Push for Decarceration and Depolicing Gets Wrong and Who, hurt, who It Hurts Most. Finishing up here with Rafael Monguel. Um, I mentioned at the beginning here that we live in a state where we have a guy, basically, uh, every, he's Mr. Let Everybody Out of Prison. And I think that the, I see enough ads that I think that the, um, the Oz campaign is doing a pretty good job of letting people know what this guy's all about when it comes to this stuff. But I've also decided that if he gets elected, we're doomed. That, that not because what he might do, but the fact that there are enough people in Pennsylvania stupid enough to vote for somebody if they know this about him. That, that I, I just are we doomed? Are we, are we that stupid? You know, it, it, I, I like to to think the best of people, and I do believe that even the most misguided criminal justice reformers and decarceration advocates mean well. I think that they sincerely believe that they are pursuing justice, which is one of the reasons why I chose the title for my book. Um, you know, but, but, but yeah, they're wrong. They are just wrong. If you dig into what the data say, if you dig into what the literature says, and if you just take a step back and look at what the outcomes have been, I mean, there isn't a single jurisdiction in the country that elected a radical, you know, progressive prosecutor that is significantly more safe than it was prior to that individual's elections. And I think Philadelphia is ground zero for that. Larry Krasner has presided over significant increases in homicides every single year since he's been in office, to the point that last year Philadelphia set an all-time homicide record, surpassing its 1990s peak. And they're on track to break that record again this year. Um, and yet he failed to re-election last year. So, you know, uh, again, I, I think people just haven't quite connected the dots on this. I hope they do before it's too late. So do I. And I think uh, Mr. Uh, Krasner, I don't think he lives in the neighborhoods where his uh, policies are affecting people. But that's, uh, I guess I that's another. I not. <laughs> hey, um, Raphael, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, that's Rafael Manguel. He's the author of Criminal Injustice, What the Push for Decarceration and Depolicing Gets Wrong, Who It Hurts Most, and we'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. President Zelensky has been to the recaptured city of Zizoum. 
a key logistics hub in northeastern Ukraine. This is significant because uh, this was a massive uh, city used by the Russians as a military hub uh, in the east of the country and uh, the pictures we're seeing from Izum suggest that the Russians had to abandon this uh, city even though they say that troops are regrouping elsewhere in the country. The Ukrainians feel they've got the momentum now that the changes that we're seeing now on the front lines could be a turning point uh, in this conflict. BBC correspondent Hugo Bacheka. Retired Army Brigadier General Donald Bolduc has won New Hampshire's Senate Republican primary. Former President Trump calling him a strong guy, a tough guy. The Dow is down 56 points, the Nasdaq ahead 30. This is SRN News. Charlie Dombeck here from Key City Capital. As a practicing CPA for nearly 30 years, I have found that 80% of your ability to grow your wealth is dependent upon two factors, taxes and investment performance. At Key City Capital, we improve investment performance by diversifying capital into off-market investment opportunities in passive rental real estate and alternatives like asset-backed lending. We recover dollars that clients unnecessarily pay in the form of income taxes, creating a lifetime annuity of savings. We are responsible of passive, affordable, single, and multifamily residential rental investments, which are located in Sunbelt landlord-friendly states. These investments are the top choices in a rising interest rate and inflationary environment. They represent a store of value protecting your capital from market volatility. Learn how we at Key City Capital can help you ultimately grow your wealth rapidly. Connect with me at keycitycapital.com or give me a call at 817-912-1569. Dennis Prager explains what Biden has done. The isolation of a the segment of the population as the misfortune of a country has a very dark pedigree. People should be aware that these things can lead to very bad results. When a leader of a country tells the people of the country there's a segment of the country that is its misfortune. The Dennis Prager Show, weekdays at noon, right before Sebastian Gorka at 3 on AM 1250. The answer. The coming midterm election may be the most important in our country's history. The battle lines are drawn. America's soul is on the line, and now is your chance to help freedom win. This is John Stagerwald. Join us Thursday, October 20th, when AM 1250 The Answer presents the Battleground Talkers Tour 2022, the Midterm Showdown, live at the Double Tree by Hilton and Green Tree. Here, Salem media hosts Mike Gallagher, Hugh Hewitt, Dennis Prager, and Brandon Tatum dissect the upcoming election, learn what's at stake, and take part in a vigorous discussion about the issues that are so crucial to you, your family, and and community. We'll discuss the economy, inflation, the border crisis, our civil rights that are under attack, higher taxes, and the real effects the Biden administration is having on this country. It'll be a night you won't forget that could make all the difference in this coming election. 7.30 p.m. Thursday, October 20th, following a VIP dinner at 6. General admission, just $20. Get details and tickets now at theanswerpgh.com. Presented by Wire Differently. Sponsored in part by Abernethy and Hagerman Long. Whose rulebook do you want to play by, the government's or your own? This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Without a proper estate plan, many families end up playing by the government's rulebook and losing a lot of what they'd intended to leave to their families. That's why Abernathy and Hagerman presents free, ongoing estate planning workshops with attorney Dan Reimer to help you protect what's yours and make sure the government plays by your rules. The next one's happening soon. For details and to attend, visit a-h.law. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Still seeing plenty of delays as we wrap up rush hour inbound 28. Gamma Drive to Highland Park Bridge close to a 15-minute delay. Now, there's an outbound delay as well approaching Highland Park Bridge. On the Parkway East, some delays remaining there. Inbound, pretty heavy, county jail to the Fort Pitt Bridge, close to a 10-minute delay. East Liberty Area Accident, Penn Avenue at Highland Avenue. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. It'll be partly cloudy this evening. Patchy late night fog rolling in. But actually, when your head hits the pillow, good weather for sleeping. Low 55. Patchy morning fog when you wake tomorrow morning. Otherwise, hazy sunshine. But an early taste of fall with a high 74. Mainly clear and patchy late night fog tomorrow night. Coolest night months. Low 52. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Ruth O'Brien. 
This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, Queen Elizabeth, uh, <clears throat> last I saw, was uh, lying in state in Westminster Hall. There was a long procession. Um, I turned the TV on today, um, as I normally do, to just pop Fox on just to see what's happening in the world. And uh, I flipped to ABC and other networks, and um, it was wall-to-wall Queen Elizabeth. And um, <clears throat> I, as I looked at it, I thought, you know, uh, this might be a little bit too much, what we're seeing here. It's been going on now for how long? A week? Um, and there's something – I don't know if the word is um, – embarrassing is the right word or disturbing, but there's something that should make you feel uncomfortable when that many people go through so much to honor uh, any human being – who was in government. I, you know, she's a queen, so she's I know she's royalty and there's all kind of other stuff tied up in that, but it's basically she's part of the of their government. She's a ruler. Uh they still refer to her as Her Majesty. Um and you know, when this uh, stuff first started when when right after she died and I thought it was kind of interesting and even uh, uh a little bit endearing to see the the way the British reacted to it, and uh, she obviously was well-loved, and she did a great job as queen for 70 years, and she, uh, she well, it's obvious by everything that's going on here in the last since she died, but uh, there's something, it's just a little much to see what's going on. When you see the lengths to which they are uh, going to honor this person, uh I would think that any – maybe normal is the wrong word, but any person who's the object of this should be a little bit uncomfortable about it, should feel like you you have to have some humility there somewhere that would say to you, I think this is a little much. You're embarrassing me now. I would hope that she would feel that way, but – you know, it's all part of the tradition that's been going on for a thousand years, longer maybe. I don't know how long it goes back. And it might be okay if this were 1422 instead of 2022 um, or even 1722. Um, but I, I just I, – I would – I'm just glad that in the United States there's no person or no office that would justify – that kind of over-the-top um, adoration that the queen is getting. There's just something, something that makes me uncomfortable. Maybe, it, maybe I'm a bad person, but I, I, I just it makes me kind of glad we don't have that here. And 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 I've always thought that the whole thing with the the royalty for the British <clears throat> was about tradition and about just being proud, uh, proud of being uh, an English man or English woman. And that um, it's so tied up in history and tradition that it's okay, and it's really kind of harmless uh, because she doesn't uh, that that position. The queen and now the king is not supposed to have you know that much power, so it shouldn't be that big a deal. Um, but when I saw what I saw today, it's just there. It's a little bit disturbing that 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 they uh, go to these lengths. So just for the heck of it. I just Googled Thomas Jefferson's funeral, okay? He was a pretty big deal. He founded a country. He actually died on the 4th of July, 1826, exactly 50 years after the signing of the uh, Declaration of Independence. He founded a country, the greatest country ever founded, the greatest government ever founded. He was a big part of forming that government. And so I Googled Thomas Jefferson's funeral. Actually, I duck, duck, goat it because I try to avoid Google whenever I can. But anyway, this is what I came up with. Or this is what duck, duck, go came up with. Thomas Jefferson's funeral was a simple affair. How about that? I don't think you would call what's going on over there in Great Britain a simple affair. So Thomas Jefferson's funeral was a simple affair. He was buried in the Monticello graveyard. At 5 o'clock p.m. on July 5th, 1826, a rainy day and the day after his death. At his own request, 
The ceremony was simple and quiet. No invitations were sent, but friends and visitors were welcome at the grave. That's it. That's what they did when Thomas Jefferson died. Um, I don't know what they did when kings and queens died in 1826 over there in uh, Great Britain, but um, I got a feeling it was a much bigger deal than this. So Jefferson kind of had the right idea, and he would be absolutely, well, he wouldn't just be embarrassed by uh, having, uh, of being the object of the kind of adoration that has been shown to the queen. He'd be mad about it, that he would, he would think that these, I, I, this is not what we have here. We're trying to get away from this kind of thing, and this is the last thing that any president should want uh, would be this kind of adoration. He would even be, uh, my guess would be, he'd even have a problem with the statues of him that are around, although some people have a problem with that now for the wrong reasons. But uh, anyway, a rainy day, the day after his death, at his own request, the ceremony was simple and quiet, no invitations were sent. Friends and visitors were welcome at the grave. Compare that to what's happening with the Queen of England here, um, what, 200 years later. <clears throat> Meanwhile, there's now a king, which um, is kind of scary. I just wonder what they're, they're, this is the, the, the royalty idea as um, is the monarchy is still um, considered to be okay. And it's obvious that most people over there want it to continue again, which I used to think was I didn't I you know I I thought it was stupid in many ways, but kind of harmless and and they should be left to do it because it's up to them and it's their country and blah blah blah. But you know I'm starting to wonder. So then there's this from this is when Prince Charles was a prince. He's now a king, and this is Prince Charles, and this is kind of scary to me. Uh, this is Prince Charles, now King Charles III, speaking to the United Nations Climate Change, um, uh, I think something about the United Nations Climate Change, back in 2021. Listen. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown us just how devastating a global cross-border threat can be. Climate change and biodiversity loss are no different. In fact, they pose an even greater existential threat to the extent that we have to put ourselves on what might be called a warlike footing. Having myself had the opportunity of consulting many of you over these past 18 months, I know you all carry a heavy burden on your shoulders and you do not need me to tell you that the eyes and hopes of the world are upon you. To act with all dispatch and decisively because time has quite literally run out. We also know that countries, many of whom are burdened by growing levels of debt, simply cannot afford to go green. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. With trillions at its disposal, far beyond global GDP, and with the greatest respect, beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition. Many of your countries, I know, are already feeling the devastating impact of climate change through ever-increasing droughts, mudslides, floods, hurricanes, cyclones and wildfires, as we've just seen on that terrifying film. Any leader who has had to confront such life-threatening challenges knows that the cost of inaction is far greater than the cost of prevention. So I can only urge you, as the world's decision-makers, to find practical ways of overcoming differences so we can all get down to work together to rescue this precious planet and save the threatened future of our young people. Thank you, Mr. So there you go, a military-style effort. That was the, uh, the uh, United Nations Climate Change Conference from uh, 2021, and all the world leaders were there, including Joe Biden, who they cut, there's a shot of him sitting in the audience. Didn't look like he was dozing off, but he was there. And um, 
he's talking about a military effort and um, and uh, of course the existential threat and we're all going to die and uh, everything he said was part of a hoax. But he's the king, the king of England now. Now he's promised to um, stay out of politics. That's politics, what you just heard there. But uh, he w- he's a globalist, and he would love to see, just based on listening to him and some of the stuff I've read about him, I get the feeling that he'd be perfectly happy being king of the world. Uh, he'd think that'd be okay, even if it was ceremonial. He'd be okay with having a world government. And, uh, you know, if you want to make me king of that, that'd be, I'd, I'd go, I'd, that's okay. I, I, could, I think I could handle that. So he, he's in favor of globalism. And uh, and he's talking about the end of the world. And, again, every time I hear this stuff, I think back to the, the little thing that I save in my computer, which was written a couple of years ago, about 50 years of a- a- apocalyptic claims by the climate change people. And it's 50 years' worth of articles, all s- stating that the world's going to come to an end by X year if we don't do X. And he's been caught up in all that, and he's an idiot. Okay, he's the king. He's an idiot. So, see, maybe he's a nice guy. Uh, maybe he learned from his mother how to be a good king. But uh, get him out of here. He's uh, he's he he could turn out if he if he doesn't back off of that, he could turn out to be I don't know one of the five most annoying people on the planet. And he's got a really good chance of becoming that. So, you know, good for him. He's he's the king now. But uh, you know, just Shut up. So I hope I just hope nobody is taking him seriously. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of uh, taking things seriously, the Emmys were last night. It's the seventy fourth Emmy uh, um, ceremony, which is interesting because that takes you back to nineteen forty eight. I don't think there were a whole lot of TVs around then, but they had Emmys. Uh, I don't know. I guess uh, they had an Emmy. Um, they gave out Emmys that year. But Monday night's edition of the annual Emmy Awards, according to this, received the lowest viewership numbers in the history of the ceremony. Uh, it was on NBC. It got 5.9 million viewers. That's 25% less than it had in 2021 when 7.9 million viewers watched. Michael Keaton from uh, Kennedy Township in uh, Kent State, where I used to hang around with him uh, and became friends with him uh, many years ago. He won uh, an Emmy. Good for him. Um, he played a doctor in a, a series, a short series called Dope Sticks, I think it was, and he won. And he talked about his parents and he talked about, you know, it was a good, it was a typical Michael Keaton uh, response, not taking himself too seriously. So I was glad to see him win, but I'm also glad to see that the Emmys nobody watched them because, um, well, it's obvious it's you know it's it's Hollywood. Who wants to watch that? And, and then the fewer, the, the the smaller the audience for that, the better. Meanwhile, at the same time, I saw this from uh, Newsbusters. Uh, this is interesting because you know about all the woke uh, wokeism in Hollywood and all the woke movies that are out there. Well, Top Gun Maverick is not one of those. It's uh, it's an it's a pro-American movie. There are no gay or transgender characters. Um, there's no agenda. There's no anti-American message. None of that. Well, it became the first movie to top the box office on both Memorial Day and Labor Day. It earned $7.9 million over the Labor Day weekend, and that's even more impressive because the ticket prices were dropped to $3 per ticket on Saturday because it was National Cinema Day. So they would have made even more money. The movie would have made even more money. And the second highest earner was Bullet Train with Brad Pitt, which is also another movie which is it's kind of it's violent and it's kind of dumb but it's uh, and I actually saw it um and it's kind of entertaining but it, there's no there's no message there either no wokeism from that movie so top gun maverick first movie ever to be at top of the box office on both memorial day and labor day 
and it's not woke. Tom Cruise is an actual man. He's a regular human being, and he's the hero of the movie, and there are a lot of guys like him, and masculinity is okay in the movie. Imagine that. So that's good news. And uh, when we come back, I, I'm going to have a couple of minutes here, I hope, to uh, tell you about something really sickening that's uh, going on in Michigan with education. Stick around. My dog was scratching and shedding like crazy around the house. When I heard about Dynavite Nutritional Supplement, I thought, why not? It couldn't hurt. We literally tried everything else. Our dog quickly took to it, and after a couple of weeks of adding Dynavite to his food, we noticed a big difference. Our little gizmo's coat was shinier, and he almost completely stopped shedding and itching. I can't wait to see how well it helps him with his allergies as the seasons change and he's in the yard more. I'm so glad I tried Dynavite. My dog smelled so bad and scratched herself constantly. We bathed, sprayed, and bathed her again, but no results. Then I heard about Dynavite supplements for gut health, and all of the reviews sounded just like my Bella. After just two weeks, she had major improvements with the smell, and no more scratching or dragging her stomach across the carpet. And her coat is more beautiful than ever. Happier, healthier with every bite. Over a million pets helped with Dynavite. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college. Learn new instruments. Start skateboarding. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Gnarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. If you want to know what the left's real plan is for your children, just look at the reaction to the work of Patriot Mobile in multiple school districts across Texas. The left is losing their minds. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative cell phone company and is a force for conservative values. That's because they take a portion of your bill and fund conservative causes and candidates who believe in the sanctity of life, freedom of speech, the Second Amendment, and they are winning. Patriot Mobile has affordable plans for you, your family, even your business. They offer the same nationwide coverage as the major carriers because they have multiple major networks. Plus, you're supporting conservative values with every call. Go to patriotmobile.com slash G-O-R-K-A or call 972-PATRIOT. Free activation with offer code GORKA. Special discounts available for veterans and first responders. Join our movement. Make the switch today and a difference tomorrow. PatriotMobile.com slash G-O-R-K-A 972-PATRIOT. PatriotMobile.com slash Gorka. Dan owed an unbelievable amount of money to the IRS. I got behind on my taxes. It's a horrible feeling. He was in denial. And when I get those letters from the IRS, you wanted to act like they didn't exist. Finally, Dan turned to Optima Tax Relief, the leading tax resolution firm. A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau, they've resolved over $1 billion for their clients. Optima got me a settlement with the IRS. These people are really people-friendly. It was every bit of a new lease on life for me. The fast action and the great results made Dan's head spin. I felt like I was in a dream, but it's real, and I have paperwork to prove it. They got the job done, and life is good. For tax help you can trust, call Optima now for a free consultation. If you're worried about what's going to happen with the IRS, stop worrying. Make the call now. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. <laughs> Testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer. Now, just in case you don't have enough evidence that Democrats need to be kicked out of every office in America... Uh, I got something for you here from City Journal and Christopher Rufo, who's been doing great work on this stuff. The Michigan Department of Education has adopted a radical gender theory program that promotes gender fluidity beginning in elementary school. And he has videos and internal documentation from the state's training program 
which first took place in 2020. It was repackaged for public school employees for this school year. And uh, the presenters claim that the West has created a false notion that, quote, gender is binary in order to oppress racial and sexual minorities. In response, the department encourages teachers to adopt the principle of intersectionality, a key tenet of critical race theory, in order to, quote, dismantle systems of oppression which are replicated through the culture and institutions of education. In a statement, the Michigan Department of Education defended the program as, quote, respecting all children and meeting the needs of their LGBTQ plus students. This is from the Michigan Department of Education. One presentation trainer, Amory Robinson, describes herself, are you ready, as a black, masculine-identified, cisgendered, lesbian baby boomer, uses the African name Kofi Adoma, and says, quote, we've been conditioned and we've been acculturated in this particular culture that gender is binary, but teachers should know that, in fact, gender is a – this is the – this is, again – This is the Department of Education. But teachers should know that, in fact, gender is a spectrum, including identities such as, quote, gender non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer, gender non-conforming, and bi-gender. Likewise, sexual orientation can include an expanding range of categories. Students might identify as asexual, lesbian, straight, gay, bisexual, queer, Questioning, demisexual, demiromantic, aromantic, and scoliosexual. Now, this is, these are kids they're talking to. They're talking to elementary school kids. Remember how hard it was just to learn your multiplication tables and to and to maybe learn some little things about history. And imagine imagine a kid being expected to remember what I just read there, and 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 and, and, and then understanding what they're possibly talking about. And this is uh, one, of the edu- one of the observers, uh, one of the uh, people with the, involved in this, the trainer, said, quote, kids have a sense of their gender identity between the ages of three and five. So about that time that the kids have language, they can start to share with us whether they're a boy or a girl. Usually those are the only things that they will identify as because those are the only options we've given them. And the training recommends that teachers abandon so-called gendered language such as boys and girls, replace those terms with things such as earthlings, people with penises, people with vulvas. This is the Michigan Department of Education. They're Democrats. Get them out. They got to go. Bye. John Steigerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow fan. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.